eating an orange. I don't normally eat on mic. I was really hungry. Um, hey, this is the Almost Good Podcast, the podcast where David James Keaton, that's him. Hi, everybody. And me, J. David Osborne, uh, eat oranges and talk while we eat oranges. I'm not eating anything because I take this seriously. I'm a professional. Oh, yeah, me too. I'm definitely, I'm a professional orange eater, dude. But I am on the toilet. Just kidding. <laughs> oh, that'd be so gross. I mean, I always get, uh, I have this weird thing about food. Um, I'm sorry, my dog's going nuts because she wants my oranges. Um, I have this thing about food mixed with anything else. So the idea of somebody like eating something while they're on the toilet or even like um, food sex, people who like to have sex and like use whipped cream and shit like that, like fucking grosses me out, dude. I don't know why. Eating on the toilet seems kind of pointless. Like just toss the food in the toilet. Cut out the middleman. Exactly. Exactly. I don't want to see it. We don't need to. We don't need to see the process. <laughs> but yeah. So today, um, we have a very special oh, episode for you a guys. Very, very special. Episode. We have a very special episode for you because we are going to be reviewing Under the Silver Lake, which is uh, director David Robert Mitchell's second film after It Follows. Uh, just want to throw this out here. Uh, how about Shit Follows? Right. Um, I loved It Follows. I did too. I just couldn't resist. Oh. It's going to be my new thing on the pod. I think that's going to be one of my quirky oh, characteristics. Pods. Yeah, it's where I, ch- I changed the name of... Because, you know, we did it with Turd Box. And uh, what was it? Did we do one for The Silence? Or I can't even remember now. You said uh, Avengers Friend Game. Friend Game. That's what it was. And, and also Avengers Spend Game because it was expensive. So that's that's going to be my new thing. Folks, I hope you like it. Um Anyhow, this second film, Under the Silver Lake, features Andrew Garfield of uh, Spider-Man fame. Uh, And also, did you ever watch the movie Silence, the Martin Scorsese flick? No, I haven't seen that yet. He was in that one, too. He was was really good in that one. Um, But uh, so it's a L.A. set, neo-noir, kind of a weirdo, big Lebowski. Uh, Do you remember the film Southland Tales? Oh, yeah. Okay, it's so this that- this one reminded me of Southland. And, you know, he's following the same trajectory that uh, Richard Kelly did. You know, because he started off with It Follows. Kelly started off with Donnie Darko, which was did, this kind of like quirky sort of... Did, hor- hor- Go ahead. I was going to say, did Richard Kelly steal my shit too? Oh, well, 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 well <laughs> God, you are just chomping at the bit, sir. You can't, you, you can't wait to get to it, much like a dog, which featured prominently in both this film and give your me your Give me your oranges. Give me your oranges. <laughs> But uh, so Kelly started off with Donnie Darko. He, this guy started off with It Follows, and they both took a really strange uh, detour. I mean, it's kind of a it's kind of a weird path to emulate. But Southland Tales was this kind of wacky. I mean, I think Southland Tales just had a huge budget. Well, isn't had... that the? It's not that unusual, right? The mm-hmm. um, the sophomore slump, the overly ambitious second thing. Yeah, I guess so. I guess that's, that's true. Yeah. Sometimes that happens, and then people say, "Oh, that was a wrong turn," and then they they write the ship, right? Mm-hmm. Like a, a good example is uh, I don't know if anybody else loves these movies, but the Riddick movies. Oh yeah, I um, so, I don't remember I don't remember the ones after Pitch Black. Well, Pitch Black is a you know very lean lean and effective little horror movie. It was a surprise hit, and so for his follow up. He just invents this whole giant mythology and layers it with all these names like Necromongers and oh, yeah. Helium Prime and all these all this crazy shit. And everybody was baffled. They're like, what happened to the 
the thing you did before. So then he pulls it way back in uh, the third one, just calls it Riddick. Mm. And, um, that's kind of, uh, and that happened with First Blood and Rambo, right? First Blood, Lean yeah. and Meat, excellent film. Right. That all of a sudden it became a cartoon and overblown and got all the money. They infuse you with money and no oversight. And so, yeah, I think you're right. I think this movie, as a follow up to It Follows, is a big, ambitious, sprawling, um, money soaked venture, right? right? Or maybe it, maybe it wasn't. I, I don't think there was much money involved, to be honest it, with you. It looks, yeah, it's, so it's more like, uh, rather than here's a bunch of money, go nuts. It's here's, here's a bunch of like freedom, go nuts. Yeah. Right. Which kind of now is the same thing to what that was in the, you couldn't do it without the money a few years ago. Now you can with just kind of, um, some sort of, you know, 12 production company backers. Did you watch the, what was that movie? I was, uh, what the fuck was it called? Last night I turned on a movie. Oh, uh, Sisters Brothers. You no, I haven't one? seen that one yet. Um, real quick, I don't, I'm not going to sideline it, but I start. I push play and I watch the opening scene, and there's so many production companies attached to it that it makes a special screen for them where it stacks them. It's almost like a word cloud uh-huh, where it right. stacks them on the screen. Till I've seen that. They, they do like, that with a lot of um, like French movies. They'll put them all in the same, or like I think they do that in Japan as well. Yeah, and that's a new thing. I don't know what what it means, but it I, it's just another indication that movies are changing. But but anyway, go ahead. You were gonna, um, or was that? Was that all you were oh, say about? oh no. Well, that's all I really had about that about those oh. kind of parallels. But like, so under the Silver Lake, just to give a, you know, when you have a big uh, kind of sprawling, ambitious epic, you got to make sure that you find a big, sprawling, ambitious book that you can steal from. So, we... well, here's what I was gonna before you say that. I was gonna ask you, like in real time. Okay. Whether I just finished it, by I the was... way, I just I just hit the credits on uh, Under the Silver yeah. Lake. It's very fresh. Well, we should get a we should give them a little background. I, I watched this movie. Uh, well, a year ago, I saw a trailer for it, and jokingly, I said to you and um, a couple other people, I'm like, oh shit, it's a looks like a lot like my work. And, and what's weird is I was referring to another thing I had written that was unpublished. That's how confused I was. I thought that has a vibe of the kind of shit I'm into, uh-huh. which, which is, um, as we were talking, uh, maybe I was talking, no, I was talking to my wife about it. Uh, one of the criticisms of a previous book I wrote was that it, it kind of wallows in a um, personal zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. So there's things that I'm stuck on and obsessed with that aren't necessarily in the in the public consciousness mixed with a lot of stuff that is in the public consciousness or stuff that's becoming trendy as far as the 80s throwback video game not video game but vhs um, right although arcade games are some are in there drive-ins you know media soaked so anyway so i saw the ad for it and i thought this feels like this thing i've been working on I can't wait to watch it. Well, then the movie got buried and didn't get released, which was weird for a an A A twenty four movie. Mm-hmm. They're it's Brad Pitt, right? Um, is that right? I think that's Brad Pitt's company. Yeah. Oh, huh. Okay. I think I, I know it's. I know they take a lot of chances, and I know that they have a great track record. Mm-hmm. So um, they had a couple duds early on, but then they've had like almost a immaculate roster the last maybe dozen movies are just all mm-hmm. great so this looks to be the first recent dud because they yeah 
they didn't release it. They shelved it for a year, and now it just got kind of dumped on video on demand, which is unusual. Some of their movies that are even way smaller found mm -hmm. a theater for a minute. Right. And this is and this is kind of could have been billed as like a new, you know, Donnie Darko meets La La Land kind of deal. You thought it would? I thought it would be a big hit just looking at the trailer. Anyway, long story short, I sit down to watch it, and I start to notice things that I thought were very familiar with my novel. The Last Projector. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those things where I didn't think, oh, my God, somebody stole from me. But I started to think, man, it was my stuff that, uh, I don't know, played out? Or was it, is it, did I miss a moment, you know? Uh -huh. So I've done, I've done that before where I thought, um, I wrote a lot of stuff about remote control helicopters and then the drone craze happened. Mm -hmm. and I And I thought, well, all my... You know, what I thought were brilliant ideas about what you could do with a remote control toy kind of got erased by the fact that drones were so prevalent. I thought, does that mean is that is the moment of movie saturated mania and, you know, postmodern sex industry meets drive in meets uh, a paranoid loner shit is it over and I, I started to think those kinds of thoughts but then um as we went along uh, my wife amy started to turn to me and look at me during the movie and say wait a minute isn't that something that you lit you know wrote almost word for word that moment and she had to remind me of stuff that was in the book and uh so then i started to panic and think not that you know oh shit did do it. Am I missing a payday here? You know, I got to sue this guy. Mm -hmm. Instead, it, it makes you it makes you depressed because you think this this thing I did is now dead. Mm -hmm. This thing this thing I did is now. If somebody else got a hold of some of the ideas of it, does that mean it missed its moment to even be not just a movie, but it, to be like embraced at all? Mm -hmm. Then as the movie kind of started to suck in the middle a little bit, yep. uh, I started to think, Oh no, is that what would happen if you tried to film my shit? Mm -hmm. <laughs> does it go, does it go South? Right? right. Right. And, uh, anyway, long story short, that's what happened. And so when I got done, I sent you a list of things that I thought were very similar. And at first glance, this list doesn't seem, um, that alarming. Mm -hmm. You look at it and you think, okay, what do you, what, that's the kind of thing that you'd see in a lot of movies. But when you get to about two dozen, mm -hmm. then it start, you start to wonder, is there some sort of, is there some sort of synergy going on? Is there some sort of uh, parallel thinking? Because it's, it is a very postmodern moment. You know, the, that the, the kind of guy that this guy is, is a kind of a young man's media moment. Is that happening or did somebody, get a hold of this book. And the only reason I, there was a scene at the end in the last bookstore in LA, the guy goes in to get that little comic and that mini comic book. Um, the last bookstore has a copy of my book on the shelf mm. and, and my book didn't get, you know, I'm not pointing any fingers. My book didn't, didn't get a huge distribution just in the nature of indie press, right? Mm. You're, you should tell the viewers listeners you're the publisher of this book yeah. so the fact that it was in the last bookstore is kind of unusual that it got in that so the fact that that particular bookstore is shown in this movie it like i thought is that a confession right. <laughs> when i was watching it right. you know because right. 
of all the places to find it, now there's <laughs> one of the places to find it was in the fucking movie. So anyway, I, what I want to do now is I have I told you to watch it. I said I'm not ready to be convinced one way or the other whether this is parallel thinking or whether somebody stole my shit. So I said my wife has her own thoughts on it because she read the book. You edited it and published it, so you would know it as much as me or maybe remember it more than I do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, you, I've you probably you, read it more times than you did. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Which maybe that's not a good thing to say about the author. But you, once I wrote it, I kind of forgot a lot of it. Right? It was sure. a lot, It was like it was like you know throwing up. It was yeah. like puking. Mm-hmm. You've probably experienced that yourself writing books. So I ask you right now. You've watched it. Uh, what do you, do you think that this guy stole from the last projector? Yes or no? Yes, I do. Um, <clears throat> So here's what I think happened. I think it's a very interesting case of, uh, of theft, right? I was trying to articulate it yesterday to you on the phone, and I think now that I've actually seen the movie, it would make uh, a lot more sense. So this movie, like, real quick, just to give the listeners a little bit of background on what this movie is about, it follows Garfield's character. He's sort of like a loser. He can't pay his rent. Uh, he lives in Silver Lake, I guess, in, in Hollywood. Um, and he's kind of a perv, right? He kind of, mm-hmm. he watches ladies from his, his, uh, window and he sniffs their dildos, which I thought was a kind of a funny scene, but, um, not, not in my book, not although, in your book, no. although the book is full of pornography, but right. anyway, go ahead. <laughs> right. So this guy basically, um, he begins to, uh, sort of put pieces together. He, he's performing what is known as, uh, oh, what is it? It's like, um. It's like almost depth psychology on the collective unconscious, right? So he's beginning to see signs everywhere. He's going a little bit paranoid, but he's, but he turns out to be right every time he kind of follows these uh, mysterious clues that are given to him. So that's basically all the setup that you need for the movie. The rest of the movie is just sort of watching him follow the breadcrumbs and encounter sort of weird it's kind of like a it's almost like a skit show that's been turned into a movie, right? Where there's these mm-hmm. little skits and there's a lot of stuff in it <clears throat> that i really liked it's way too fucking long it's a long movie it's two and a half hours mm-hmm. and it really doesn't uh hit its stride i mean i literally i think i think that it hit its stride for about the, 30 minutes when he finds the songwriter yeah the songwriter is i think a lot of people are saying that that that's the big moment. Like when you compared it to Southland Tales, yeah. the songwriter moment is like the Justin Timberlake moment in right. Southland Tales. Right. When he sings the killers and does his little dance. Uh-huh. That's the kind of thing where the whole thing just comes alive and you it think does. this yeah. is what you, this is what you're doing. Right. And this has a charge to it, you know. Well, he should have taken the songwriter scene and then r- retroactively written the rest of the movie, right? Because it it feels like it doesn't feel like the movie's ever leading up to that. Um mm-hmm. And right, I th- and I think that if it had had a a bigger focus on this kind of <clears throat> on this sort of millennial angst, right? He can't pay his rent and stuff like that, and he's also sort of like rebelling. And if the movie had been more focused on these young people trying to find a thing to rebel against, and then you culminate with that scene and him sort of spoiler alert smashing the guy's face in with Kurt Cobain's guitar, <laughs> that would have been that would have been a very very kind of awesome way to end end the movie right but it, the movie's not super concerned with that thematically it's sort of again it's was a it's a lebowski thing right so anyway all that to be now to go back to your question so here's what i think 
Well, you should say real quick, that's not the plot of, of my book. That's why I was so... Exactly. Uh, that's why I wanted to ask you the question, because you can't line these plots up and say, well, what is what was stolen? Right. So that's what I... Yeah. It is not... No, it is not the plot of The Last Projector. But here's the thing. It's like, it feels like he read the book and then took his movie, right, that has a very particular plot and direction and he just kind of lift it was like a lot of gag lifting you know it feels yeah. like he sort of just went in and went shopping for the gags that he liked the best so it's almost like he read the book here's what i think because i'm almost 100 percent convinced that this guy read the book i feel like he went in read it really liked the spirit of it but didn't want to like make that as a movie so he tried to as best he could emulate the spirit of it um unfortunately he did okay so the thing the thing that i can't get over and this might seem like a completely minor thing i have your list open here we can go through these one by one i would be more than happy to do it but listen here is the one that i cannot get over and it is the fact that in the last projector you have a bit where they where they make a grave rubbing of James Dean's grave, right? There's a James mm. Dean grave rubbing. And in the movie, the, the he has to go and rub the head of the bust of James <laughs> Dean at the Los Angeles Observatory. And that to me, when you when you put like stuff like that within the context of this uh, sort of you want to go through the list? Let's just go through the list. Yeah, let me let me go through it a little bit. What's funny about that? When you say that out loud, we sound crazy. We sound I like know. the we I sound know. like the movie I because know. it's because it's not directly those things, but it's those things are. It's like all the words it's in aggregate, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's such it's, it's so strange. Yeah, but it's like, like oh, thing- it feels like that's it. Actually, feels like um, you know that that disgusting term like content aggregator. It feels like a content aggregator went through like a pile of David Lynch movies and your book and aggregated content to me. And and Hitchcock. It's got. And Hitchcock, yeah. There's some vertigo and there's some rear window. But yeah, um, so the the list, and I will admit that when I typed this out, I was was watching the movie and I thought, I got to start keeping track. So the list is kind of self serving in a way where when I listed them, I sort of worded them to make my point. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about it, we'll talk about it very honestly, whether, because I've sort of got turned around on it after I had a day to think about it. I thought uh, maybe it's all a coincidence. But when I start to, uh, I started to flip through and find actual passages and I started to get convinced again. And then I start to get unconvinced and then people start telling me, are you going to lawyer up or what? And I started to get convinced again. But anyway, so the list, um, the first thing that I, and this is kind of in the order that I noticed them. The first thing I noticed is that he's obsessed with, in the movie, the character's obsessed with a, a billboard of, you find out later it's an ex-girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, the billboard is a, um, uh, is a, an advertisement for like contact lenses or something. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it has some, some line about watching or seeing. I can see clearly now is what it says. Yeah, and uh, and it's contact lens thing. So in the in the last projector, there's um, a the main character feels like he's being watched by. There's a billboard with uh, uh, it's advertising um, uh, animal control people, animal control guys that are 
uh, going around and they're cleaning up. This is another dude. I don't even know where to. It's going to sound like an ins- insane person, but in the book, these animal control guys, they're essentially dog catchers, but they're they're also like there's a dog attached to a serial killer who's going around and he's raping women and then the dog he's using the dog to cover it up mm-hmm. so that so there's all these dogs being killed which is in the movie and also in the book the uh the two dog catcher guys their main task is to go around and find ghost skunks the idea was that you would smell skunks on the highway and you'd never see them it was the gag that i had right so in the movie again another weird coincidence if it is is the main character gets sprayed by a skunk early on. And so people are like, well, do you smell that? They smell like a goat, uh, a skunk, and they don't know where it's coming from. So again, a parallel where I've got dog catchers going around looking for skunks that they can smell but can't see. That's something that I noticed. And then the billboard with the eyeball on it in the book is similar to the billboard that's watching him. Um, I also have also the, the... kind of the, the sort of like, I want to just add in that there's a sort of overall, uh, I think it's fair to say light disdain for dogs right like yeah the idea is that in the book it's because i wrote a western where in the western the characters hate horses and i thought that would be funny because in westerns there's such a love for horses so in this book at the time it was when i was thinking of it it was post independence day dogs were loved in movies dogs were loved in books the the joke is you know kill all the people you want but don't fuck up a dog right right so the movie, or so the book is full of casual, like, uh, moments of dog uh, disdain, like you said. And so um, in the movie, there's a dog killer on the loose who's killing a bunch of dogs. Which, by the way, never goes anywhere. I just want to throw that out there. That really well, bothered me. Well, my theory is he's do- he's the one doing it. His pockets are full of dog biscuits at the end. I thought he was the key dog killer. But oh, maybe, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Oh, that's probably right. No, you know what? I think you're right. No, actually, yeah, no, I didn't catch that at all. I'm really bad at watching movies, but please continue. <laughs> but yeah, so there's a uh, the the point is dogs hover over the movie, and they hover, and they certainly hover over the book to the point that when we did the paperback, when it went from paper, hardcover to paperback, we put we made it a mixtape of dog songs is written on the back of it. Mm-hmm. Dogs are dogs are everywhere to the point of um, they they're just like this. They're like it's like dog weather. It's like it's raining right. dogs in that book, and it and it's definitely doing that in this movie. Dogs are everywhere. There's like a specter of dogs and dogs being harmed. The ghosts of dogs before and after. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's that's in both uh, the the grave rubbing thing that you talked about. There's a um, not only that, but there's when they're at James Dean's grave. They also there's a joke that they're next to Alfred Hitchcock's grave, but since the my novel takes place, that moment takes place in like Shipshawanee, Indiana. What they're actually seeing is just somebody named Hitchcock, and that's the joke. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the movie, there's a moment where two pe- people are having a long conversation. When they move away, you see, oh, they're standing in front of Hitchcock's grave. Mm-hmm. Again, this, these things sound crazy out loud, but when you start to stack them up, yeah. you start thinking, that's yeah. a weird coincidence. So we got see, the Hitch- So at this point, I think that. I think that about 50% of people who are listening are going to be convinced. So I don't know. I don't know, though, dude, because those things, mm-hmm. when I've talked about it, some people were making jokes like, oh, does it have a guy looking for a, lo- a lost girl in it? Mm-hmm. Because those things are so common. Oh, does it have a, right. a, a young man obsessed with movies? Yay. Right. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. So, but I'll just go through a couple more. There's um, 
there's a drive-in in the book there's a drive-in screen climax where all the main characters converge in this movie it's like a drive-in but people are standing up at it um and in both ver in in my book and in the movie uh whoever is on the screen is also standing there having a conversation so behind them uh in the book it's um pornography happening where the and then the girl's stripping down in front of this very different. But the fact that the, they're both arguably sex workers mm -hmm. it, in the book, it's pornography, but in the movie, she's uh, it's like a string of um, actresses, failed actresses turned prostitutes where they basically say, do you like this actress? You can have sex with her, which is kind of a knockoff of uh, LA confidential where if you liked, um, you know, Hey, do you like Marilyn Monroe? This particular they do plastic surgery on prostitutes to make them look exactly like the actresses. So you can have sex with those particular stars. So it's kind of a, um, like you said, it's an amalgam of that, of that stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But the idea of a, of an on-screen doppelganger with the person in front of the screen is definitely in the book. Um, the one that was the most incriminating, I thought, uh, or at least the one that gave me the, the most uh, uh, double take was in the, in the movie, the character um, finds a map of a level of Legend of Zelda, right? He looks at an old Nintendo magazine and he sees a map of a video game and he lays it over top of a map of where he lives, I, if I remember it correctly. A, it was a cereal box map, yeah, of uh, Okay, of cereal, yeah. cereal box map of L.A. He lays the Legend of Zelda map over top of it, which leads him to a bunker where there's all this sort of survival gear. Uh-huh. Um, which then leads him to the songwriter, or no, that's a no, different. No, 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 no. This is a, this is a, that's that's a that's different. This leads right. him. This leads him to, uh, to the this, this yeah. hut. This hut in the forest that has the hippies who are going to be ascended. Um, and, and they go to these bunkers, these survival yeah, bunkers right. that are, I guess, all over. There. We don't know that they're below us, and that's where the shit goes down. Right. So there's a. Um, so there's a, a, a scene in my book where uh, at the drive-in climax, the hero is running. He's, there's a big chase going on, big fight. He's running through the concession stand. He goes past a bunch of coin-operated video games. And he and as they go past, he sees Pac-Man. He sees Joust. He sees Donkey Kong. He sees these video games. Mm -hmm. and, he thinks, and he thinks to himself, hey, wait a minute. These all have something in common. What is it? As he's running, he thinks, oh, these are all those games where – when you ran off one side of the screen, you magically reappeared on the other. Right. And so that gives him an idea and he starts shouldering open the doors in this concession stand and he's running as fast as he can. And every time he does, he comes out another door and he shoulders through another door and he comes out another door, like on the other side, like the video right. game. Right, right, right. And then all of a sudden at the end of that page, he looks up and he realizes it, he's in an immaculate white room and there's a film projector clicking and he says he's in the bunker. And that that kind of thing is the again, it's not exactly the same kind of bunker, but it's the same. I call it a bunker. Right. And I, I refer to the projection booth as this bunker where it's like hidden, like you can't get to it unless you do that trick he did. And when you get there, you meet the last projectionist, which is this guy who is like this is this. The projectionist is um, he's the one who's putting in all this subliminal sex shit into the mm -hmm. movie. That they're watching. He's putting the porn up on the screen. Right. And what's happening in this movie? There's this vast conspiracy of sexualized. There's, this, there's the songwriter who's putting the songwriter who's putting yeah. subliminal messages into the songs. Yeah, so that's when I started to think, what the fuck? And that's when I started writing them down. 
um, after that. Um, right. So, but yeah, and there's uh, what else? There's this is and these are really vague, but by the guy standing over a bed and masturbating, he it leads him to clues in a very uh, Quinn Peaks kind of way. He's like trying to jerk off, and he looks down and he sees a woman's <laughs> face. He's like, wait a minute, that's the girl. And he goes to look for kind of like in Twin Peaks when they see Laura's sex ads, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in my book, the the main character, or there's in my book, there's a character who's jerking off into Venus flytraps, right. <laughs> which which I guess arguably leads to clues. Um, and that sounds stupid out loud, but it all makes sense or doesn't when you read it. There's somebody passing out random uh, albums, um, which when played backwards mm-hmm. reveal reveal shit. Right. In my book, there's a character that goes around and puts cassette tapes in mailboxes that when played reveal shit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a mysterious VHS tape in my book that uh, the paramedics um, in the back of the paramedic ambulance, there was a, a possibly a rape was committed and they were recording it in the in the ambulance mm-hmm. so there's a there's a tape that uh, that contains this crime in the movie there's a vhs tape that shows the weird owl lady who may have killed the guy who wrote the comic book about the owl lady mm-hmm. um again not too not too crazy but here you have two vhs tapes that the, the cop missed the clue of the crimes on the tape right go to the dollar uh, bill the dollar bill is the next one like they do that one I'll jump down the dollar. The dollar bill is weird because I wanted to have uh, this red herring moment in the book where it, it kind of taps into what people think of as conspiracies. And you see, like in Days and Confused, people are like, "There's some spooky shit on a dollar bill right. in the fuck in the pyramid on the back with the eyeball and the Illuminati shit." So I thought I got to touch on the dollar bill stuff. And in uh, in real life, my grandpa would show me this tiny little spider that's drawn in the corner of the dollar bill, and it's this this thing in the corner that you can't really make out what it is, but it looks like a tiny little spider and then the design behind the number looks kind of like spider webs. So in the book, I wanted to put the spider on the dollar bill moment. And there's a character that's obsessed with, um, she's, I, I don't remember it exactly, but they're drawing ladybugs and putting these bugs on the dollar bills and there's things are being passed along. And in the movie, the character take goes to that little spider in the corner. And when that happened, uh, we were watching it. I audibly gasped in my house. Mm-hmm. I went <gasps> because that little tiny spider encircling it is such a like that's part of that personal zeitgeist, right? right? That's something something that we talk about because my grandpa has like this tattoo of a spider on his arm. He was obsessed with it, mm-hmm. and I was, like, I was like, "Whoa!" Somebody was in my head. Mm-hmm. And in in the movie, they call it the mark of the owl. Yeah. Um, but in, in again, the movie, it is a little owl too. It's like a little owl hiding behind the. Uh, like, I, like I, I contend I contend it's a spider. Yeah. Uh, but other things, you got dead dogs everywhere. You've got uh, a car accident at the beginning of the movie ties the main characters together. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, you've got dog. Um, there's a moment in the last projector where a serial killer is sitting on a park bench and he's luring other people's dogs with a rubber ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's uh, to kill the dogs and kill these women. And in the movie, there's this dream sequence kind of thing where there's like a string of uh, of uh, dog biscuits to lead to lure the dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the like you said about the disdain for dogs. I have at least three jokes about how dogs are not man's best friend in this book. And the, like the characters will say, dogs is not man's best friend. Like uh, uh, and uh, a crowbar is a vandal's best best friend. There's all these gags about a dog not being man's best friend at the end of this movie, they show all these tombstones of all the dogs killed. 
<clears throat> and all the tombstones are like talking shit about the dogs. Mm-hmm. And one of them, mm-hmm. one of them says, "Here's lies. This was not man's best friend, or something." Mm-hmm. And and that stuck with me. Like that's a gag. Like you said, gags. Not important things, but a lot of right. gags. Right, right. An, an old pizza box is kept as a clue. A pizza delivery man and <clears throat> his his execution is very important. Um, let me just see at the last couple. <clears throat> The other one that I think is very incriminating is that uh, the movie – spoiler, this is how the movie ends. The movie ends with this guy's having trouble with his landlord the whole time, and at the end of the movie, he uh, he's about to be evicted. They've called the cops on him, but he's hooked up with a naked woman he's been kind of peeping on the whole mm-hmm, movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he's at her apartment, and uh, as he looks off into the distance, he sees uh, the cops come into his apartment like, motherfucker, he's gone. And uh, he kind of – you get the idea that this character is going to kind of be a squatter and he's going to go from – like he, he'll he never leave that obsession and that zone. He can just kind of move from woman to woman right, and right. just kind of indefinitely just kind of live in that obsession in that area. Right. So uh, – and he watches as they're in the wrong apartment. He's in another apartment in the same building watching the, the cops at his apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, also, and there's crime scene scene uh, tape at the the third apartment, which is the girl he is, was obsessed obsessed with, and she's moved out, and the apartment's empty except for crime scene tape, right? And they find a box of Polaroids in the closet in the shoebox. So here's the thing that's in the book that I thought was fascinating: is in my book, the climax has. It leads up to it with the the main character. Um, there's an empty apartment across the hall. He goes over there, and um, it's where the police have gone, and they've left a, a chair, a SWAT team chair, in, and when they've left it behind, they've and there's crime scene tape up, mm-hmm. and he goes over there, and uh, he's kind of obsessed with this third apartment. He's got some problems with his landlord in right. the book. Yeah. And and he goes over to uh, there's a party and he goes over to where there's this naked girl who he watches in the uh, reflection of the computer screen. He's playing like an old uh, Sim City kind of game. And uh, he kind of hooks up with her or stays the night there or whatever. She's like chewing ice cubes. And in the morning, there's a conversation about um, your old apartment. Are you going to go back there? And meanwhile, the police have broken into the wrong apartment, arguably looking for him. Mm hmm. And he's in the wrong. He's in the other apartment with this girl he hooked up with. That kind of stuff is kind of convoluted and different. But you still have three apartments. You still have the main character going next door while the police raid the other one. You have an apartment covered in crime scene tape, and you have the character like kind of standing there. Like in the book, he's listening to the, them kind of bumble around and crash around in the empty apartment. Where in the movie, he's watching them come in. Mm-hmm. That shit felt that felt really close to home. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's right at the end too. So it's kinda yeah. like you're like, oh wow, they really sort of got and it. So just, also, just just for the listeners, I just want to do something real fast. Because I think ahead. it I think it has more effect when you do it I'll as stop this kind the, of like I'll stop the list because the list could go on forever. Well, here's the thing. I'm gonna do something real fast. I'm gonna do this and I'm not gonna read every single one that you wrote here, but I'm gonna just read a few. Um and you guys have already had um sort of a Dave has sort of explained these. So these aren't just like, you know, random things that I'm saying. But I want you to kind of like listen to this in a cumulative, like a cumulative way, right? Okay. So, billboard with ever watching face, lingering skunk smell on the hero, 
James Dean's grave rubbing slash head rubbing. Drive-in screen where multiple main characters converge. Video game reveals map to final villain, which, by the way, is also in a bunker. Uh, In the book, it's Pac-Man. In the movie, it's Legend of Zelda. Uh, Scene from Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Masturbation leads to clues. VHS (laughs) tape shows a crime that the cops have missed. Uh, Hitchcock's gravestone gag. All the dog stuff, the dog killing and the dog murder. Uh... Let's see, uh, Conspiracy with the Tiny Spider Drawing on the Dollar Bill. In this movie, it's the Mark of the Owl. Um, Kids vandalizing shit. The last bookstore in LA is actually where the last projector is, um, and it's in the movie. And the movie ends with the hero at different apartment across the way, and cops go to his place, and he's not home. So, like, when you take those all as cumulative, like, and we're not talking about, like, a, a, you know, a vampire gets a stake through the heart. And also, a vampire uh, bites somebody on the neck. This is the exact same thing. These are very idiosyncratic things that just one of them wouldn't have really, like, uh, sort of made my ears perk up. But we're talking about, like, we, you've got at least a dozen good ones here that are kind of like, really? Really? Yeah. And, the like, the, the idea of po- Polaroids... In, a, in an empty apartment. In the book, he goes to an empty apartment. There's a behind a door is a bunch of Polaroids of, of this third three generation stalking that's going on. In the movie, he goes to the empty apartment. There's a shoebox with Polaroids in it. At first glance, you'd say, "Are you kidding? A shoebox with Polaroids in a noir type movie?" Right. That's a. But again, when you stack it up with about twenty different things, you start to think, "Am I just am I just compiling everything?" And somebody else compiled everything. Well, that's how many my, times that's have you my done fear. This, like, you know that's what I mean? My like, fear. well, and and see, actually, the reason why I think you have a better case is simply because Under the Silver Lake doesn't match the last projector in plot at all. You know, if you were trying to do one of those things where it was like, "Oh, this plot is ripping off a plot that I did," I think I would have a lot less sympathy for it. But because this is very clearly, it's like it's ripping off a tone. It is ripping off gags yeah, and bits, the, the but it's, tone it's, I, it's ripping yeah. off a tone, right? And I think that I would even go so far as to say that stuff that's not a direct rip of things that you've actually written, this movie feels very much like something that you would have written because the characters talk to each other in these kind of, uh, these sort of like, not monolo- well, mo- it's not monologuing exactly, but like they jump right into their ideas. You know, well, whenever- what's what's weird is the most the most uh, me like thing that's spoken in this is probably arguably the one original, one hundred percent original moment, which is the songwriter's lecture mm-hmm. about. But it, again, it's it's like it feels so close to home that that the idea of him spitting out this conspiracy of all songs kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't write that, and it, that's nothing that's in my book. But there is kind of a weird version of it with the projectionist. So it's like I feel like we're kind of kindred spirits with me and this dude, uh, as well as whatever else happened with all this stuff. Right. I'm ready. I'm ready to humor any conspiracy theory about what, how all this stuff could have ended up in there. Did somebody? tell him these things the dog thing is what fucking throws me dude like even if somebody's obsessed with noir and conspiracies and like media and video games and music and all these things and movies who why would this cherry on top the fucking icing be oh and dog murder right you know what i mean like where does that come from how is that there 
Well, I, I actually, I'm a lot less charitable than you, and I think that this dude uh, came across your book in this bookstore, and I think he did a little digging and uh, discovered that I don't have a website. Um, which, by the way, people have been giving me shit for lately. I'm like, leave me alone about not having a website. Who cares? It's like all these kind of like, you know, these fucking hall monitors or, you know, hey, man, you got to have a website so that people can go to it. And uh, Wouldn't you just, if you found a book, wouldn't you be like, huh, let's throw him a bone? Like it wouldn't yeah. cost, how much yeah. could it cost? Well, no, I think, I, think, I think he literally, I think he found this book and he realized like, oh, this is like super, super indie shit. And I think it's something that happens. Um, I mean, I've never personally done it because I'm not a fucking scumbag. But I think it's something that happens a lot uh, with us. We've discussed this on this show where we are so kind of like underground. I feel like there's these tiers. There's there's like uh, tastemaker tiers, okay? And mm. I think that like we are like the little content generators. We do the stuff in the minds. And then there's like the next level of cool people like kind of find it. They don't want to tell anybody that we exist, right? Because they know that if we actually like got the keys, that we would be ripping because we're content generators, right? So they just kind of want us to remain in this place so that they can keep like leeching. Does that make sense? That's I don't know, maybe a little conspiratorial, but no, I think when you when you said something earlier before you'd watched it, you said there's there's the there's a definite urge to be the auteur, to be the right. one whose whose idea it was untouched, you know, unsullied by other people's inspiration. You've just a young up and coming uh, filmmaker and writer. It sprung from you. Look at you. You're a prodigy. The, and the, the it's always um, reinforced by people only want like, you know, people want the first book. People want the first movie by somebody. You put out more books and then you try to sell a book. From what I hear, it's much harder because people say, what's your, we want that moment of the, the 30, 20 something who, mm -hmm. uh, you know, here's your first thing and look at all these ideas. Mm -hmm. So it, it kind of, you were saying that it kind of taints the, that illusion. If you were to say, huh, you know, I like this kind of stew of Hitchcock and Lynch and these indie books maybe that I've come across. Mm -hmm. I like this stew of stuff. I'm going to credit it all, you know? Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and like I was saying to you, I think there's a sweet spot of if, if this, if my book was bigger, it probably could have been an homage that people would have just shrugged off. Just like right, right. this, th this is certainly an homage to Hitchcock and Lynch and people would just shrug it off that, there's, I think there might have been the music from Vertigo in this. I don't know. It sounded exactly like the fucking music from Vertigo when he's following the girls around. Mm -hmm, yeah. Plus the in the rear window and Vertigo stuff, and the Lynch stuff with the the uh, tracking down Laura Palmer, and you, it's so um, overt that people would shrug it off and say, "Well, of course. Look at all the look at the Lynch and uh, Hitchcock and Tarantino in there. He must love it." But when you're not big enough, then it becomes. You can't really you can't you pay can't. homage to something that most people yes. have not read. You know exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's when you might say, I, I, "Dude, I swear, I was waiting." When they went into the last bookstore, I said to Amy, "If they just showed my book on the shelf right now and zoomed in on it, I might be satisfied." <laughs> because first of all, we're yeah. suck we're suckers and we're so low on the, uh, you know writer's totem pole that will take anything you know throw me a fucking scrap right, just say right. say that it was inspired by that because it's so different 
right? Mm-hmm. That that might have satisfied me. And I thought that was going to happen when they were in the last bookstore. I thought they're going to go around a corner and zoom in on my fucking book mm-hmm. because I look at all the fucking dead dogs. Right. But no, it, it didn't happen. So it makes me think you they didn't do that with Hitchcock. They didn't zoom in on a here's a here's Alfred Hitchcock in the movie, but they might as well have. But because I'm because it's nothing because it did. <clears throat> It didn't have a big audience that it's it's like those things get uh, they get kind of unfairly swept up in the homage train. Yeah, so while yeah. while he is taking all this content and, he, and it's a movie about movies, just like uh, the the book, I think, is we talked about it as a it's a book for writers. Essentially, it's not the general public might not enjoy it as much as a writer would enjoy it because it deconstructs these things mm-hmm. i think that he takes this movie about movies and he sweeps up all this stuff like a you know he's like a street sweeper and everything's just getting uh just um getting pulled in from all directions and here and there's my book is one of them and and it's like if he's not gonna actually say in there thanks special thanks to david lynch and alfred hitchcock why would he say special thanks to me right. but it's it's different when my thing is so obscure Right, right. If, if that's the case, that's what I'm right. saying. Yeah, no, and I mean, I think you've always kind of had that in um, in art in general, right? Like you've always had people who have uh, sort of like been able to lift, again, because there's just, there's a cast of people who are artists and create things. And then you have the kind of, ne- like the people who have like that sort of sweet spot are the people who already have cultural cachet and have yeah. connections to the money people. And the really, really good ones are kind of, you know, they're vultures, right? Like they go in, they like, they find these things. I think more indie filmmakers and film agents, right, have found my books than your average. Per- like that's the number one group of people who have just kind of come across my books because they look for this shit all day. You know what I mean? Like there are people who people used to go to record stores and go shopping and try to find, you know, hip hop artists used to do that with samples, right? They would go to a record store and they would buy all these records for a dollar and then they would go home and they'd find the gold and they'd make their beats out of it. And people are doing that right now with indie books. Mm-hmm. They're going yeah. they're going shopping, they're going to the record store, they're keeping their ear to the ground to see like what's good and what's hot, what looks cool to them. And then they know, they know for a fact that we don't have uh, the kind of voice, the amplification to, to sort of do anything about it. And so they're just kind of like, they're just kind of taking the ideas. And I think this is the real dark side that none of us really kind of thought about, but we should have predicted with indie publishing is that people are able to just kind of take and they know that nobody will ever be able to do anything about it. You know, especially if they wrap it up in like a plot that's different. Um, just want to, as a, as a kind of final note, as far as I'm concerned on this thing, it's just like you can have different weird gags in movies, but these are extremely idiosyncratic bits, um, and there's about a dozen of them. So I don't really and know it, what the statistical odds are that that was a fucking accident. I just, I, I don't, it's got to be in the single digits, right? Uh, yeah. I, I get. I'm gonna. I'm a, of a few minds about it. But now I start to wonder: Did we make this? Did we? Did we cause this by embracing? Um, we, you know, we embrace things that are an overt homage to classic films, and you know, like Stranger Things. I didn't love it as much as some people, but 
it's clearly a copy of so many other things. And when that's when that's okay, why is it not okay to do it to everything? Right. Like, is there a limit? Would somebody say, you know, you can all everything is this stew of 80s nostalgia, right? And so if somebody says, well, you can take all you want to make this stew you're creating, which I've done in my own book, mm-hmm. right? And did somebody say to me, well, you can do it. Make sure that everything that you want to talk about, like if you have a moment that you think is funny, like there's a there's all sorts of riffs on the thing and John Carpenter and stuff like that. You know, John Carpenter might think to himself, what the fuck? You know, mm-hmm. maybe why did why don't you throw me something? And it's like, in my mind, I think I did throw you something, you know, I'm literally talking about your thing. Mm -hmm. And so did, did I ask for it? Am I, am I in a hell of my own making Mm -hmm. living through postmodern, you know, regurgitation of media Mm -hmm. and Tarantino, you know, and, uh, are arguably, um, uh, Fincher and Nolan, they are redoing some, they're taking, a different angle on these things that already exist. And we as consumers love it. And so somebody did it to me. And because I have no cultural capital, um, is, is there a cutoff of you have to be a certain amount of uh, well-known or, or rich to not do it? If somebody had an album of like Paul's Boutique, which has what, 300 uh, not licensed samples where they couldn't put that album out until they went back and retroactively paid everyone for everything they stole. I would not at the time I wouldn't say Beastie Boys Paul's Boutique what a criminal enterprise you know instead you're like yes take all that shit and not only was that they used some uh, I think they used some Hitchcock music from Psycho and the Eggman maybe unless I'm misremembering they used all this these beats from these classic songs but there's also some very obscure songs on Paul's Boutique that they took the beats from Um, that's how is that any different right so we are we all in this hell together and now this is what it looks like is you you know live by the sword as far as media saturation i don't know i don't Uh, think so because i think this is more akin to a trope that i've seen and i can't pinpoint any specific sitcom that i've seen this in but this is like a trope right where there is somebody who gives their boss like ideas and the boss i mean it's played out in so many different ways where like an underling gives a boss an idea and the boss goes to the ceo and then the Mm. the boss becomes like and and the whole you know the trick of the whole episode is that you have to watch um this underling kind of get more and more infuriated as as people are you know calling this person a genius and all the ideas are coming from them right and Mm. i and i just i think that that's closer to what we're talking about it's not necessarily that we're stuck in a soup of sampling and and borrowing and stuff like that i think it's that everybody sort of knows that implicitly when you're when you're paying homage and you are borrowing from things there has to be some kind of cultural cachet to that thing that people understand right so when you know when tarantino is sort of like i don't know when he's borrowing from lady snowblood um I mean, that even though that might not be something that a bunch of people know, it is a classic film that people have seen. And that director got to make his movies and had a whole career, you know? Like, he's not stealing from somebody who's like, this is closer to, you know, having people send you their work uh, under the auspices that you're going to publish it and then just take all their best ideas and write your own book, right? Although this book was published. You know? Right, 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 right. Yeah, I'm just saying it's closer to that, right? So I wonder what if uh, 
we should talk about uh, when I first told you about it, and I was showing you some of these um, these excerpts, and uh, and I was in that cloud of what's happening. Am I crazy or not? Yeah. Uh, you said you were uh, uh, what hopped up on cranberry juice, and you went and twittered the guy, twittered the director, and um, I don't know what to make of this, but he deleted his Twitter rather than just answering the question. I thought that was a strange move. By the way, I was hopped up on creatine, not cranberry <laughs> okay. juice. Uh, <laughs> what no, was the? I was at the, I was at, I was at the gym, and I uh, and I was like, let's get this motherfucker, because uh, I had just gotten done benching, and I was like, oh hell no, I was all. I was like super stoked about it, but uh, probably, no, it was uh, it was Nick Nick Kolakowski actually like uh, tweeted them directly. I, I I just I just put out the call and Nick Nick responded. Um, I, probably, I wouldn't have done that. You know, I wouldn't have approached them that way. I probably would have at that moment said, "Is this a like-minded parallel thinking thing going on?" I'm fascinated by how you got so many similar ideas. And you know what's so funny about this is that like I you're you're being so reasonable about this, but I can I can feel the the urge to break someone's neck just beneath all these words. You're like I just want to know is it are we are we the same are we are we buddies are we friends? You know what it is. You know what the problem is is because I really liked it follows. That's the biggest problem. Uh huh. Yeah. Like I can't go back. I can't go back and not like it follows. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Right. But right. yeah. But the fact that how about, uh, how about how about this? How about it swallows? Right, like come. Okay, cool. No, no, never mind. Never mind. The the fact that people um, people forwarded him my list or something, and he deleted his Twitter. I think is weird. Now uh, he might he might not not have been on Twitter a lot. I don't know, and he might have thought, you know, fuck this, <clears throat> fuck this shit. Who are these crazy people? Mm-hmm. Or, but then again, his movie just dropped. Like that's a time to be on Twitter. There's if you Google, Google uh, under the Silver Lake, there's a lot of conversations on Twitter about it, mm-hmm. and so he's. I think he's got to be creeping out there. Um, I would just, if I was him, I would say I would definitively answer that question. Right. Because you looked up some of the legal uh, questions of it, and it sounds like that it reaches a dead end as far as any kind of culpability if if you can't prove that the person even saw your book. Like it's kind of, they have to, it has to have crossed their hands in some way. Mm-hmm. And um, if I read that right, like you have to show some way that they could have come across your work. I don't um, think so. I don't know. I don't, I'd have to look that up. I don't know. I don't, I think, I think substantial similarity is, I mean, if you were to present your case as you had it, I think you would, I think you'd have a case, but Hey, not a lawyer. I don't know shit. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think that I, that's probably what I would have done if I had a time machine. I would have said, hey, man, have you read this book of mine? It's very similar. I thought it was interesting in a non-accusatory way. And then if somebody was like rude and said, fuck you, I didn't read your sh- bullshit, then I would have you know, come down with both feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it all it all panned out in a weird way to make it even more unsettling. I think that it would be fun if there if it's, you know, the non-cynical me wants it to be a weird conspiracy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That out there, that things that things were in the air that are weird. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it's sadly that's usually not the case. It's usually the case of people, whether purposefully or not, absorb other people's ideas and claim them as their own. There's somebody I know right now that's on every day on Facebook. She posts a stolen joke and it makes me insane that I think that people are so eager to 
be funny, be clever, be, you know, creative, that everything is fair game now. Um, and it's not that far removed from the joke thief stuff we were talking about. It's like she she posted the other day. She's like, hey, are, are coconuts mammals? They have milk and they have hair. Mm. And I thought I thought I've heard that before. And the idea of somebody saying, hey, hmm, this is weird. I just had this thought that whole that whole thing is, I think, touches on what's wrong with someone when they want it. They want to be the person that says it. They don't want to be they. I don't know. No, no, it, you, you were almost there. They want to be the person who says it, not the person who creates it. Right? Yes, 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 yes. And so the one thing is hard. The one thing is easy. Yeah. I don't know. Right. I don't know. Right. So, well, do we anyway. even need to review this movie? I mean, it's okay. Well, I, I would is, say yeah, it's what did all you, right. What did you think of it? I, that's another thing that kind of got me sad was as it went along, I said, to, I said to Amy, I'm like, you know, doubly depressing is the fact that does that mean my stuff is unfilmable? Because this movie is not entirely successful. Yeah, no, at, at I was going to say the same thing. I was going to say this. Well, it was kind of what I mentioned a bit earlier about how the dialogue feels very Keaton. The problem with, I think, if we were to translate your dialogue into film, you'd have to get really fucking good actors to do it, right? And a lot of these like younger millennial actors can't do it. Like his his buddy, who's always wearing the the weird shirts and has the drone that he's using to peep on, on which by the way yeah. i loved the scene where he's using the drone to peep on this model and it uh -huh. zooms in on her and it stays for an uncomfortably long time on her face as she's weeping i was like right. that's great that's the kind of yeah. stuff that i love i love it in movies yeah. right and, that, and that's like a lot like mulholland drive it is the, yeah the, the women women weeping in the theater uh-huh yeah 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 no but yeah but, um, but yeah but like this guy this actor he can't pull the lines off right like he's just he's not is they spent all their money on Andrew Garfield and they didn't have and Riley Keough yeah. and they didn't have any money for who by the way she's she's slowly becoming one of my favorite actresses. I think she's really great. Which one which one was she? So Riley Keough was the the blonde who disappeared and she was oh. also she was the um the victim number 4 in the house that Jack built and she was oh. uh she was in uh, Hold the Dark. She's in these kind of like not really great movies but she's like Except for I did I did like the house that Jack built, but she's like just amazing in everything that she's in. So okay, yeah, she was good when she she got a lot of emotions out of her what 15, 15 minutes of screen time tops, maybe yeah, ten. Minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought she was great, and um, but like these other people, I mean, even Garfield, he sort of I don't think he knows what to do with the character. He's sort of like he's charming, and he sort of mumbles his way through a lot of stuff, yeah. but he doesn't. He he's never he never coheres into an actual character, right? He's right. Like, yeah, they didn't. I I agree with you completely on him. He he's a good looking guy, and maybe that's why he he's it suited it. And he kind of looks like a he's one of those guys that looks younger than he is, yeah. kind of thing. Right. So you can you get some mileage out of that. Mm -hmm. But I think you're you're right about them trying to play it play it like a Lebowski thing. By he was stoned a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Um. And uh, the skunk smell, they make a joke about it being weed. But I think the real guy, and if they would have had the balls to kind of play it like that, mm -hmm. is the guy who was beating up the the musician on the floor of the toilet. Right. And the guy who went after the songwriter and the guy in the to and the guy in the tub with the tomato juice trying to get the skunk smell off of him, the manic uh tiptoeing around violence guy also the that, guy the guy who literally this is probably my favorite scene in the movie these kids key his car yes and he yes. finds them and he beats the shit out of them and it's it's extremely graphic of him yes. just like pummeling these children who keyed his car yeah like 
who do you think would have been a better choice to play him? Because th- I feel like there's actors out there who could have done it. But yeah, Garfield, you can't see that 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 friendly, handsome face and think like this is a guy who would punch kids. You know, you know, it's he just reminded me of something in the last projector where there's car keying going on, where somebody puts their the car keys in between their knuckles and takes out the main character's eye. Um, but anyway, more more little vandal, vandalism and car key stuff. Mm-hmm. But anyway, but yeah, that. So did you notice when they when that character started, he's kind of in a fog, right? Right. And then there's a moment when he's uh, the skunk gets him and he's in the tub and he starts spilling out his thoughts on these conspiracies. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I, I turned to Amy and I'm like, who is this guy? Let's right. get let's right. get him let's get him in the movie. Yeah. Because because he doesn't last. He's only there when he's lashing out. Mm-hmm. And and it, it kind of made the way we describe it might sound like well he's a multifaceted character. It really doesn't play that way. It plays as yeah. some a, an actor who doesn't really know what to do with it. Yeah. And that you're right because he's kind of like who is who is this right like mm-hmm. he does he kind of walks around with a sort of dopey you know half serious kind of yes. approach to the whole thing and then there are these moments of intensity like you said the moment where he's in the bathtub or when he beats up the kids or when he's an, another when he, favorite scene of mine is yeah when he's beating up the the pantsless musician after he's taking a shit <laughs> on, on the like that guy is and that. And he's the one who you would believe would do all these things too, right? Yeah, the guy, his, the guy who would smash the face in of the of the guy with yeah. the guitar, right? And and he's passionate in those moments when he's he's got the guy on the ground and he's trying to he's like I played your music backwards. It's got these coordinates in it. What what? Why did you do that? Oh, he was great in that scene. He was all red faced. You could see the veins in his neck and shit. Yeah. Yeah, and the guy on the ground like. Uh, those aren't my songs. They give me those songs. And he's like, they, wait, they gave you what songs? And he lists like four songs and he goes, all the hits. Yeah. <laughs> what, wasn't one of them called Christian shit farmers? <laughs> yeah, like but, but I like how he's so offended by that. Like all the hits. Are you yeah. kidding me? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, it's, but, in, it's interesting that the character in this movie, maybe this is a bit of the movie's subconscious bubbling up to the surface, but it's interesting that the, protagonist is so offended by somebody else writing the hit songs uh of this band right when there's very potentially a different writer who wrote most of the hit gags in under the silver lake just saying it's a it's an enigma wrapped in a riddle buried in a confession yeah and then in a cereal box but yeah i would give it uh uh C plus B minus. That's about There's, how I feel about it. But I like I saw a lot like of my... reviews on Rotten Tomatoes that were like, "Oh, I liked this movie's spirit." And sure, no, I mean I I get that, but I, I just I wonder I wonder why movies that have such intense spirit seem to just completely throw any kind of like attempt at being good out the window. You yeah, I, I mean? think that because I think the chance you had to take was to make. Andrew Garfield more unlikable than he was. He's he's already slightly unlikable. He kind of treats women bad. The movie is very much in the male gaze as far as uh, movies in Hollywood and women are sex workers and their objects. um, uh, They're objectified in that movie. So go the full nine and make that guy, make him um, on a rampage. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That makes, it makes a better movie. It makes a more alienating movie where people can't say, Oh, this poor guy's looking for the girl that he held hands with one night. Mm -hmm. Instead, make it him on this rampage to where he's finds all the, you know, he goes to takes all these. He's a man with blue balls and he wants to fuck. (laughs) Like he never gets to fuck this one girl. And he's like, I can't, I can't, this, this, I can't deal with this. 
that, but that's a very unfashionable character. Right. It's the movie's already, I've already seen some grumbles. There's already some talk on Twitter where people are saying, I don't know any women who even who are given who are given this movie a pass. But I think that if you were to go, if the movie was to have come out about 10 years ago and it was to have a very unlikable protagonist and it was to uh, concentrate on the moments where this guy is leaving kind of a path of destruction, trying to find this girl, that you have a good movie on your hands. Mm -hmm. And if there's a movie that came out in the 90s called Slam Dance, stars the guy from Amadeus, um, there's some stuff that I, I'm hundred. I'm more convinced that this director, writer, director saw Slam Dance than I am that he read my book, and I'm pretty convinced that he did that. But I'm also very convinced that he watched and loved Slam Dance because it felt very much in the wheelhouse of what this movie was doing as far as a guy on looking for a girl that he knew briefly, um, and going taking all these wrong turns and then violent things in Hollywood ensuing. I'd recommend that movie to anybody and I think that movie does it a little bit more successfully than this one does. But there's it's just like with Southland Tales. I think that movie's a disaster with mm -hmm. some really really good moments in it. Mm -hmm. This movie not quite a disaster, but the moments that are good are good enough to where it's worth watching. Um, but why does it have to be two hours and 25 minutes long? Jesus, Jesus Christ, I know, I know. <laughs> and they have two of essentially the same scene where they they have a an old guy explaining things to the character. That happens twice, dude. That happens yeah, fucking right. twice. You're right. I didn't even realize that. And right. I mean, like, that was, that was uh, you know, one too many times, especially and if the, you had such a good scene with the songwriter one, and then you have this kind of, like, weak-ass version of the same scene with the, with the hippies, right? It's kind of like you should have just stuck with the one and then, you know, kind of there's other ways he could have found out that these rich right. people were sort of burying themselves. And so, you know, what, you know, what he actually could have done. He could have gone to that hut if he wanted to get full lynch about it, because the whole purpose of the scene is he talks to the he finds the girl. He talks to the girl who's been buried in a bunker under the under the Silver Lake, basically, because mm -hmm. these rich people are paying to have this uh, ancient Egyptian ritual performed in which they ascend uh, the way the pharaohs did through the pyramids or whatever. So they're being buried with their wives and stuff like that. Anyway, if you really wanted to have it be super lynchy and have him get to the hut, nobody's there. There's just a phone, right? There's just an old-fashioned phone. And he, mm -hmm. pick, and he picks it up. And, and, he, he, and he calls her, yeah. he calls her. That's all you, like that's it. all you needed. It's a better ending. Was yeah, that the script doctor? I think I just script doctored this you just bitch. You just script doctored that, dude. You did. And I think uh, also, were you thinking because they set up that that old guy explains things again, that that moment seems so weighted. I thought when he drank the drugged tea that he was going to wake up in the bunker. Yeah, me too. I did. Yeah. Kind of like the vanishing where you wanted to know, and now, you know, now you're going to die in six months and right. starve at like, you're going to some heaven's gate shit dummy. Right. I thought that was going to happen. Um, but yeah, another thing I think that would have made it better is we don't have, uh, we don't have an antagonist, not even just a villain that, I think that the songwriter was good as a final boss. Sure. But as far as an antagonist, they did it a little bit with uh, David Mamet's daughter, um, uh, Shoshana or whatever her name is from mm -hmm. uh, from Girls. She was the one who – he goes up to her in the bathroom and she oh, knees, right, right, right. She knees him in the balls and then yeah. takes off. They, this is what they should have done, and this is what they did in Slam Dance, and this is what they did like in Children of Men, and so many things uh, where somebody is looking for answers, and they keep running into one of the toadies who keeps handing them their ass. 
she should have beat his ass about five times. And that would have given that movie a charge of, oh, shit, he's on the right case. But, you know, the the underlings are scary. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You don't you don't have to have the the people at the top be, you know, because you're you're working your way to the top. They should have had they just had that one moment. And I thought it was going to be where every time he ran into her because he runs into her about four more times. Mm-hmm. But, but then she starts running from him. It should have been scary. You know what I mean? Right, they could have, right. they could have made, and that would have made the movie. It would have kicked it up a notch. Because he just gets more and more progressively fucked up. Like she breaks right. his finger, <laughs> loses right. an eye or something. Yeah, I yeah. like that a lot. Because yeah. this was a part. Uh, real quick, another uh, slam dance plug. He keeps running into a guy who. Uh, this is so, so far up its own ass. The writer of the movie is mm-hmm. who he keeps keeps running into. Yeah. First, first time he sees the guy, the guy hands him a business card that's blank on both sides, so that the character character looks at it and then when he flips it over it's just enough time for the guy to punch him in the face the second time he sees him he's looking at it he's like watching him from his apartment uh or from the street and he runs down he's like what are you staring what are you looking at my apartment for guy beats him up again (laughs) then he then the guy feels bad and he throws his members only jacket over his shoulders like yeah i shouldn't have done that so then the main character of the movie takes the jacket and starts wearing it around he starts slicking his hair back he starts to look a little bit like the guy who keeps beating the shit out of him I so, love the, that. That's great. so the third time he sees the guy the guy kind of has to give him like a once over like huh maybe this guy's got something and he gives him a, a, some clues he's like you really want to look into this look into this part of it and then i think he beats his ass again and isn't that great to kind of morph into what you're looking for right. so imagine if the main character of this kept running into the, those uh women those kind of happy-go-lucky LA uh shadow shadow they're like these shadow creatures right they're all these things are going on below the surface and he starts to become them a little bit Mm -hmm. and he never really did that he just kind of was Andrew Garfield whatever that is kind of a big Lebowski knockoff but not enough to where that was fun and not he should they should have embraced his mania and made him yeah he should have gone full crazy person and I like the idea of him becoming not only full-on Alex Jones conspiracy nut, but also adopting the sort of mannerisms of the of the shadow hippie chicks, as you call them, like the uh, like just him with like feathers and a bindi, and like, but he's also like <laughs> just you know just make it real weird, man. That's you know, what that's they what the thing. I, I hate it when they when they tease me with the weird, and it's like yeah. there's so many opportunities for you to just have this guy Did by you... the end of it be completely fucking insane. Yeah, didn't you feel like? You feel like you didn't, you didn't, weren't given what you were owed. That right. they te- they tease you with what it could be, and then they they like hedge their bets and say, "Well, we're still going to try to make a little money on this." And you just want to yet grab them and say, "Listen, you're already outside the realm of mainstream. Yeah. Don't try to make this something that the the fans of Andrew Garfield will embrace. You've already abandoned that. Right. So go." Just go for it. Right. Why hedge your bets and say let's make him a little bit likable? I bet there's a four there's a four hour cut that uh, uses you know not only my book but all my diaries and everything I've ever loved. And in the four hour cut, this guy's a real piece of shit, and it actually does succeed. That's my that's my dream. Well, with that, I think we can wrap this bad boy up. We had a long time to go and a short time to get there.